Hi everyone, this is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. We are One New Man Ministries, an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles, that's Christians, believers, and Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. For as Ephesians 2.14 says, for he, that is Jesus, is our peace, who has made both groups one and has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new humanity, thus making peace. And he might reconcile both to God into one body through the cross, thereby slaying the enmity. So uh, what are we going to study today, Jerry? Well, our story in Genesis uh, picks up Jacob's story, uh, now focusing in on uh, Joseph. And uh, let me say good morning to uh, you two and good morning to our audience. Um, there's a lot about Joseph's story that is very familiar to us. Uh, we have uh, the story of him being sold into slavery, the coat of many colors. There's a lot about his story that we do know, so some of it's going to be very familiar. But I wanted to maybe come at his story. We talk about addressing the Old Testament from a New Testament or New Covenant position. Uh, there was a fellow in the early church by the name of Stephen. And you'll recall that there was a, an argument that began to take place in the early church about the caring, of, uh, caring for widows. And that some of the... Uh, some of the uh, Early believers who were of a more Greek background, Jewish-Greek background, felt like their widows were being ignored. And the apostles appointed deacons, men of good character, uh, who would make sure that all of the resources that the church had to offer at that time were being fairly and evenly distributed. Stephen was one of those people, and he was... Uh, I want to find that, that verse here in chapter 6, talking about Stephen. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And so he has uh, quite a high pedigree, if you will. And a little bit later on in chapter 7 of Acts, that was Acts chapter 6 where he was appointed. By Acts chapter 7, he is on trial, if you will, before the Sanhedrin, giving an account of what it is that he's doing, going around preaching about this Yeshua, this Jesus of Nazareth, who's supposedly risen from the dead. And what he does in responding to their inquiry is to launch into a historical argument that in general will make the point, uh, God has kept covenant with us, and in order to keep us on track in the covenant, he has sent various messengers, prophets, uh, in order to uh, rebuke us, to warn us, to discipline us. And in every case, we have rejected that messenger. And he goes through the long list of people and finally ending with uh, Jesus. He says, and, and of course, when God finally sends his son to you, what do you do but reject him as well? But along the way in this narrative that he's giving, he uh, stops for a moment on Joseph. So I thought it would be a good place for us to, uh, to consider some of the New Testament implications of Joseph's story and then go back and look at that. All right? So in Acts chapter 7, if we pick his speech up at chapter 9, he says, And the patriarchs jealous of Joseph. So when he says patriarchs here, he is now thinking about the next generation after Jacob. Typically, we think of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But here he now is looking at the generation of Jacob's sons as the patriarchs. And what does he say about them? That they grew jealous of Joseph. And this reminds me that a couple of weeks ago, we talked about envy and the severe uh, complications in life that envy uh, brings about. Uh, we looked at some uh, verses uh, that conversation a while back that talk about uh, why we need to drive envy out of our 
uh, character uh, because it creates bitterness and strife, uh, warfare between people. En envy is a cousin or even brother to covetousness, which we know is idolatry. And so this is the, the, the frame of mind that those patriarchs, uh, Jacob's sons, uh, had regarding their little brother Joseph. And let's keep in mind, Joseph is the little brother. He is quite a few years younger than his other brothers. So uh, they sold him into Egypt, it says, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. And I want to stop there because Joseph's story here and in our uh, Genesis portion is going to continue next week. But this focuses on the first part of, of the story that we're going to read in Genesis, how uh, Joseph, the little brother, uh, has definitely been shown favor by his his father. We know that uh, he was the son of Jacob's most beloved wife, Rachel. It gave him a special position in Jacob's heart because of that. Uh, he gave him this beautiful coat uh, that Joseph wore, I would say probably somewhat proudly. Um, what we see, though, in, in uh, the recitation by Stephen, though, is what stands out in the long-term telling of Joseph's story are these factors. That God was with him, that he rescued him from affliction, well, actually out of affliction, and he gave him favor and wisdom. So that when we think about Joseph today, another couple thousand years on from Stephen, I think these also are the things that we want to draw out of the story about Joseph. That in the end, Joseph's story, all the wonderful things that ultimately came to him and through him, are not because of Joseph per se, but they're because of God. God had favor on Joseph. God was with him. God was with him in his trials. God brought him out of his trials and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh. Ultimately, Joseph was in front of the most powerful man in the world at his time, right? And Pharaoh, in some ways, wound up submitting himself and his whole kingdom to Joseph. Why? Because Joseph was so extraordinary? No, Joseph's God made Joseph extraordinary. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> here's, here's the perspective from Stephen. And I think it's a good perspective that we need to uh, keep in mind as well when we think about Joseph as we flip back to the Genesis story. Because like all characters in the scripture, Joseph is not a perfect human being. Joseph is involved in a family that it's clear there's a lot of dysfunctional dynamic. <laughs> and Joseph grows up in that, and he becomes part of that. I mean, that, that, that's, that's just a fact, don't you think? Yes. And so as much as we love Joseph and all the great things that God did in him and through him, Joseph, too, has those parts about him that need to be worn down and broken down through trial and affliction so that he might become the man of God that God intends him to be. And one of the images I like to think about um, when I think about the process of sanctification, and Joseph needed the process of sanctification like we all do, uh, all of the lovely polished stones, if you ever go down to the oceanfront or other touristy kinds of places and you see these, these uh, polished stones and you can put them, you know, red and blue and green, they're, they're, they're so beautiful. How did they become so smooth and polished and clean and shiny and bright? How, how did they get that way? Somebody took a big bag of rocks and threw it in a tumbler and threw in what's, I think it's called grit, mm -hmm. uh, so that 
as these rocks are being tumbled around, you know, imagine rocks inside your, your dryer. That's the same, same process, okay? All of these rocks are being tumbled around, and they're banging against each other. And then there's this grit in there. It's like uh, sand, only even rougher than sand. And you go through several processes to get them smooth. But it starts out with this real rough kind of sand, and the rocks are in there, and the sand is in there. And basically what you are doing is you are eroding the rocks quickly, mm-hmm. right? You're smoothing them down. That's what erosion does over a lot of times. Well, that, a lot of time, well, that's what this process does very quickly to the rocks. And that process of throwing the rocks into the tumbler, that's often the, the image that I get about what God is doing with you and me. He takes a bunch of people with rough edges and he just throws them all in a tumbler, the community of God, mm-hmm. right? And he, the grit, if you will, is, is the trials that we all face, the, 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 the fact that, that you're different than me and there's going to be places where, where we rub against each other, that that is the process of smoothing us and polishing us and making us beautiful like those beautiful rocks in the end. And Joseph needs to go in the tumbler, okay? That's my point. Joseph needs to go in the tumbler too. Lee, yeah. So, you know, just for our listeners, we... So when we study uh, every week, we're studying the Torah portion, which is about, you know, three, four, maybe sometimes five chapters of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Pentateuch, and um, and then the Haftor that's associated with that. It's sort of a traditional Jewish study, weekly study. But then we add this new covenant portion that we get from... Jews for Jesus or the Messianic Bible study group. So, right. you know, and, 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 you know, we don't exactly know who put this portion in Acts of Stephen with this, but they were obviously either inspired or trying to teach us something. And so, you know, I think that like, you know, you can imagine Jacob sitting around with his 12 sons around the campfire telling stories about Laban and Isaac and Abraham and, you know, the, the, the boys hearing the stories and the favor, God's favor that's been, been bestowed upon the family and the promises of God to the family. And, you know, they're sort of playing it forward and now we get to sort of see how it played forward and and to learn from that process, you know, especially with Stephen and with Amos that's put with this and what God's trying to teach us. And I think, you know, that Stephen is a love I love Stephen. As a Jewish believer, I love Stephen because he's so blunt. You know, and I hate to say it, but that's the sort of medicine I needed to hear as a Jewish believer. Mm-hmm. And um, he, you know, he's described as being full of faith and wisdom and and also full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles. They say his face was as the face of an angel when he was in front of the Sanhedrin. But he goes through this incredible story of God's favor on the Jewish people, on the Israelites. And he come, and all the way through to, you know, Yeshua. And who he says, he says that, um, you stiff-necked, and, and this is in 7.51, Acts 7.51, you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? They even they have even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels, but have not kept it. So you know, in uh, in 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 the Haftor portion of Amos this week, it, Amos two, it says, 
some something similar. I mean, Amos chapter 3, verse 2, it says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will visit upon you all your iniquities. And, and the commentary says, The most famous, therefore, in history, Israel is the chosen of God. Chosen, you know, meaning having favor, right? This, this grace we talked about. Therefore, God demands higher, not lower standards of goodness from Israel and will punish lapses more severely. The higher the privilege, the graver the responsibility, the greater the opportunity, the more inexcusable the failure to use it. So it's a really good, I think, framework for us having the privilege of the perspective of time to sort of look back at the story of Joseph and his brothers, the 12 of Mm -hmm. Jacob, you know, that become the tribes of Israel. And, you know, I think we do see Joseph has a lot of favor. And like you said, he's getting polished up. And, 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 you know, I think just like we're getting polished up when we when we have our favor by grace, I have been saved through faith. That's Ephesians 2. And when I receive that grace, that favor, you know, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to be obedient? You know, am I going to try to walk with the Spirit in the ways of the Lord? Mm-hmm. You know, and what I like about this, Jerry, is that Joseph doesn't question God. You know, he, he, he still walks in integrity. And I think that's the, the thing that, that God's developing in him. He's in the tumbler. And he's getting polished, mm. you, know, you know, for each trial. And you can look at that in our own lives. Look at the th- times that we have been either going into the tumbler because of our own actions or that God allows us to go in that tumbler to create the men that he wants us to be. So it's all a, it's a, it's all a process, you know, from start to finish. And, you know, and, and, and the, the price that Stephen paid yes. for that brutal honesty was the ultimate price. You know, and I just love this. I, I'm sorry. This this is like when when I went to Israel and I was going to be baptized. The group I went with said, "Choose your favorite biblical passage," because we were going to share it with the group. And I chose Stephen's speech. So it's <laughs> and in 59, it's in uh, seven Acts 7:59. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, praying. Lord Yeshua, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. So it's just, you know, there is someone who, being so full of the spirit and having the boldness and courage to state it with such truth, And maybe you can say it wasn't wise, and maybe we'll get to that about Joseph and some of his, you know, uh, especially him telling his brothers about his dream. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You can also think about it, Jerry, in the the Covenants series that we're doing, that that the world doesn't like God. The, The world doesn't like truth. The world doesn't like God's people. So... We're all, we're all of us are going against the flow. We're all going against the tide here, and, and just like Stephen did, but he paid the ultimate price, but he did not back down. He, mm-hmm. he spoke with conviction, and what was to come was to come. Just like we talked about with Daniel, you know. Daniel was going to stand by for him, and he was faced with death, but he didn't have to suffer at that time. So it's if, if God's going to create in us the men that he wants us to be, we're going to have to go in the tumbler. We're going to have to face all these things. The thought that comes to me, uh, the Amos portion uh, is a different way of saying sort of the same thing, though, and that is uh, the writer of Hebrews picks up a theme from Proverbs about fathers and sons. If you are not being disciplined, then you are not a son of that father, right? So true. So that the father, our father in heaven... Being a good father knows what we need in order to become more like Yeshua because that is his goal 
it might not always be our goal. Well, we say it's our goal, but then we're not sure we want to go through the process to get there. The discipline. Uh, sometimes uh, we we don't like being in the tumbler. Uh, we we resist for any number of reasons. But the uh, the reality of of life in Messiah is that we're supposed to become more and more like Him. And God is determined to bring that to pass. When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him face to face. Uh, that's just a remarkable, remarkable transformation that's going to be completed <laughs> in the day of Christ. Right? Remember in, in Philippians, Paul writes, uh, He who has begun a good work will bring it to completion. But it suggests that the process is already underway. Mm -hmm. Right, and and also says that he, we're his masterpiece. He knows what he's doing. He mm -hmm. knows he knows what trial to bring, and he knows how we're going to react. I believe, and that's the and and when you make a commitment, saying you know, God, make me the man you want me to be. Be ready. I mean, it, it could be coming, but it's a good those those trials. I like to quote Charles Stanley and and Jonathan Kahn, embrace them. You know, embrace those mm -hmm. trials because on the on the other side of them, you're going to be better. Yes, I, I I believe that is is the truth. Trials are are uh, not pleasant, but uh, if it's true that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, then we just have to go through those trials uh, like like the saints of old, believing that God is with us. He says yes. He is, and now here's a trial. Do we believe it? Uh, we tend to think that. We've been infected, I think, to some degree by a world's assumption that uh, God, if, if, if God is real, he wouldn't let you suffer. Yeah. That, that suffering has no place in human life is, is kind of a, an assumption that our, our culture has, has, has grown up with and, and is peddling around. But that is not the way God presents himself in Scripture. That is not the way that real thinking persons believe life happens, right? I mean, all of us in our best moments know, I mean, just, just to put a very simple physical description on it, if I want stronger muscles, I'm going to have to put them under some kind of discipline, some kind of trial. I'm going to have to try and make them lift weights that make them feel bad and uncomfortable and hurt when I'm done, right? Right. Well, our spirit man is like that. Yeah, you know, there's a spirit muscle, if you will, and God is in the business of of stressing it, right, making and, it stronger. And you know, um, when we last week we were looking at this contrast between Jacob's wrestling match and Yeshua in the Garden of Gethsemane, and our Messiah, our Savior suffered unto death on the cross Amen. suffered more <clears throat> than any than we can even begin to imagine and you know we we saw in Jacob you know and 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 we have this privilege of our perspective we're seeing the beginning of the story and then it's ultimate distillation and perfection of Jesus right but we see the process of God perfecting and, you know, pointing us into how to, you know, grow in faith and obedience and walking in the Spirit through different trials through these characters. And there's really a difference between Jacob and Joseph. You know, Jacob wrestled with God. And then at the end of that, he claimed his—I mean, he wrestled with God to claim his blessing. Then he came out of it— you know, sort of, I interpret it sort of proud, you know, that, look, I wrestled with God. I saw the face of God, and I made it. And we don't see Joseph wrestling with his brothers. We don't see him when they threw him in the pit. We don't see him wrestling with his the people who he was sold into slavery with. We don't see him wrestling with Potiphar. We don't see him wrestling in prison. And, you know, we see him demonstrating his walk as an act as as walking in faith 
and in obedience. And I think it's a it's a sort of a remarkable um, transformation, as it were, from Father, you know, Jacob to Joe. The story we're seeing here of Joseph, and you know, I think you know we we should talk about some of that and the way that he demonstrates his obedience in his faith walk during these acts that he goes through during these, you know, situations. And he went through a lot of these trials that it says, and at such a young age, starting at 17, I think ending in his early 30s, and I just checked now, he lived to be 110. So he was second to Pharaoh for, what, maybe 70 years, you know, almost almost 80 years that he ruled uh, Egypt to protect his, his, his other 11 brothers and his father. Mm-hmm. So he allowed the, the start of a, of a Jewish nation or Jewish people within, the, uh, within Egypt, and then just 400 years later, then they get to exit. So those 75 people that, that were brought out of Egypt, uh, I mean, brought out down of, to uh, Egypt. Yeah, and grew to all, over two million people in those four hundred years. So, Joseph played an instrumental part, and within Joseph's life, these these um, trials that he was going through played a big part in his <coughs> life to prepare him for all this. For sure. So it's, you know, we just got to trust that you know, when we're going through a difficult time, that God knows what's taking place. His hands in us and, and in it. And you know, like uh, like Jacob you know, being sort of the envy that Esau had towards him. It says here in chapter 37, it says about Joseph. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. So it's the here we see this favor and envy theme mm-hmm. coming out again. But we see Joseph, you know, maybe he he was wrong when he had this dream and then he shares the dream with his brothers that, you know, it says he was uh for behold we were binding sheaves in the field. This is in thirty seven seven and my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves came around about and bowed down to my sheaf. And, and his brethren said to him, Shall thou indeed reign over us? Or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And, and they hated him the more for his dreams and for his words. And then he had a similar dream and he told it to Jacob. But it says there in 11, And his brethren envied him. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, you know, there's this recurring theme that the authors are telling us about favor and envy. And, you know, how are we supposed to respond? You know, clearly envy is wrong, right? That covetousness, that making, that idolatry of and wanting what someone else has. But also throwing favor in other people's face isn't a good good idea either (laughs) no it's not a good idea to just proudly boast about it because favor is not because you did anything it's because god favored you so what paul says in in corinthians i don't know the reference but he says "I, i don't have anything that wasn't given to me by god and i think maybe something like envy happens in the church in the community of of messiah when people are living and walking in certain gifts and other people look at that and begin to envy why didn't god give me that why didn't god do this for me when they did it when he did it for them and uh, that's that's a dangerous place to be um we're all favored by god in some specific way unique to us uh by the fact that he has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be in Messiah, right? Right. And we're to rejoice uh, for all the good that God is doing in our brothers and not to envy when we see other brothers doing well. 
or sis and sisters. Uh, but instead, sometimes we are tempted to envy that gift, envy that position, uh, what, whatever it, it might be, uh, rather than to step back and be grateful for what God is doing for that one, and then to count my own blessings <laughs> and be grateful for the types of favor God has given me. You know, and, and, and you know, we talked about no one can take your envy and no one, no one knows your favor. your favor, right? Sorry, no one can take your favor and no one knows the struggles you had to go through to, to, to own the favor that right. God's given you, not to earn it, but to, to, to walk in it, right? How much tumbling did you have to go through? Right. <laughs> to get and, there. And, and so, you know, and I wonder, you know, how many of his brothers <laughs> would have said, Oh, yeah, I'm one Joseph's favor. I'll take his place. I'll be thrown in the pit, sold into slavery, mm-hmm. thrown into jail. Let's go down the list of the things he right. isolated from my family, no family, you know. Falsely accused. Falsely accused. I mean, all these things we see that he goes through. So, you know, we, I think it's, you know, a blessing we don't know the tumbling that God has in store for us. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So we've, we've already kind of made the transition over into Genesis, and we are in Genesis 37, and Lee has already covered the beginning of this story, how uh, Jacob favored Joseph more than his brothers. His brothers noticed that, and they hated Joseph for it. Joseph gets this dream from God. And again, here's, here's a place where there could be envy. You know, why is God telling him this stuff? How come God never gives me a dream, right? Uh, but he tells them the dream, and in the dream, they are going to bow down to him. Um, in the dream that he tells Jacob, uh, the suggestion is that even his elders, his, his, his parents, his father and mother, are going to be in that position of bowing down to him. And Jacob uh, resists that, uh, but his brothers, uh, his brothers were jealous of him. It says, but his father kept the saying in mind. I like that, and that that is a, that's a key idea. What what makes you say I like that? Well, I'm just thinking about the and Mary, and when Jesus uh, was raising Mary, he she says she treasured these things in her heart. Mm-hmm. So these these things that might be casual that run in our lives, and we will catch them sometimes. And with the they they images of you see of your kids or whatever, you take those to heart and you remember those, you know. And and I think that's what happened mm-hmm. with with uh, Joseph here and his father. <clears throat> and I I guess I would suspect there was a Holy Spirit movement on Jacob, because his first reaction was not positive, <laughs> right? <laughs> But there was something that happened in his heart that must have caused him to think, I need to hold on to this. I need to remember this. This is important. And you fast forward about another 80 years from this, it, <laughs> it, it comes true. Right. You know. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, Jacob is not a stranger to the power of dreams here. Right. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. Uh, he's had his own set of dreams as well. So the story shifts to the scene where uh, Joseph's brothers are out uh, pasturing the sheep and his father sends him out to find them. And when he finally uh, locates them and he's on his way and they can see him, it says in verse 18, they saw him from afar. Before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Not just like hey, let's rough him up and really show him his place. You know, you're, right. you're, you're, you're down here, little brother. <laughs> we're we're going to teach you a lesson. No, we're, we're going to kill you. But, but look at what they called him. They said, behold, this dreamer comes. Mm-hmm. So they, they, it's almost like, what are they envying? Are they envying that... The, that in his dream he thought he was above them? Are they, or are they envying the fact that Holy Spirit is talking to him in his dreams? You know, that somehow they can sense, like you said, that there's this, you know, blessing of the Holy Spirit on them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, 
and and I think you know that that that's you know something that that when we receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we need to be very humble about that because it's one of those things where people, you know, when we get zealous about the Holy Spirit, people can misperceive where we're coming from. And it and we need to remember at all times, it's by grace we have been saved through faith. It's nothing we earned, nothing we merited, nothing Joseph merited, really. It's just, it was what God chose for him. Mm-hmm. And, and then he had to go through the right. tumbling for it. Right, yes. And that favor stays with him throughout the reign of, of Egypt and his marriage. And remember his two sons, they, they got equal shares of, of the um, tribes of Israel. Right, because in the end, Joseph is the one who received the double blessing of the firstborn because Reuben, right. Reuben had sinned against his father by sleeping with one of the concubines. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole nother mess. <laughs> the family dynamics. Right, and, 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 and so here's, here's the thing about the family dynamics, and, and here are the boys who've been raised by this supposedly godly man, Jacob, and, and <laughs> they, they become, as Stephen calls them, the patriarchs, but here they are, they're scheming to murder, right? Then it says, let's throw him in a pit and we'll say a fierce animal has devoured him. So not only are they conspiring to murder him, but they're already concocting a lie to deceive their father about what really happened. I mean, these are not the most upstanding and they don't have moral fear. people. They don't have the fear of God. Right. They don't have any reverence or I mean how did it go from the fear of Isaac to these guys who have no fear of God I it's amazing I wonder if it's that or have they grown up in such pride of being the covenant people that we can do whatever that's God, sort God, of what Amos God, is saying, God, right? God called us. We're 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 it. That's what Amos and Stephen are pointing at. Mm-hmm. They really are the the pride of you know. And we saw that. And we talked about that with Jacob, and 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 just it. He gets blessed, and it's like there's a pride in it, not a humbling in it. Mm-hmm. So in a way, this story is not only about Joseph, but it's also about the reclamation and restoration and reconciliation of brothers and how they need to change also, as we'll see way towards the end. Again, most of us know the story of how the brothers have to go and appear before Joseph, and they don't even know it's Joseph and all the, all the intricacies of, of finally learning who who each other is but by that time they've been changed also they've been humbled if you will so but here they are at the front end of this story these are not pleasant characters these are ruffians these are they're, these are hooligans <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're populating the nation of israel you know soon to be the nation of mm-hmm. israel so it's 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 amazing to see 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 this all this take place but i'm just wondering why do you think these 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 boys turned out like this? I mean, I mean, I think Joseph and Benjamin might have been a little bit different, but do you think it could have been, you know, the, the three other wives that he had? <laughs> I just still can't get over the four I, wives. I, that he I, I think it's what we're all all our destinies are if God doesn't intervene in our life, and you know. Thank the Lord we have Yeshua to, who pays the price for our sins because we're all born in to a world of sin. And, you know, it's only through our faith in Yeshua and his, and, and his death on the cross as payment for our sins and then his resurrection and him asking the Holy God to send the Holy Spirit to transform us that we get the chance to be a new man and it's a chance because we have to exercise our will in this war of the spirit and the flesh and you know 
progressive sanctification as mm-hmm. you've talked about so many times so yeah it's no it's i mean of course they're like this we're all like this yeah it's amazing why is joseph different <laughs> that's what's amazing well i think that there are personality types who are born in sin and are sinners in the standard typical way that all of us are labeled that way but are more sensitive more aware of others more or less selfish than than others just by nature right i I, I think that's true and you know it's it's the old the old uh the old line that you sometimes run into in uh apologetics talking about the faith with others and you know atheists who say well I, i don't need god in order to be moral and that's that's true i mean atheists can be people who are decent enough uh, on, on a day-to-day basis, they deal f- decently with others. They're but, <laughs> you know, there's, there's something deeper in our separation from God than just whether you can be nice to people most of the time, right? Yeah, I, I think it's pride or vainglory, you know. Um, so maybe it's a scale of pride and vainglory or and mm-hmm. humility, you know, because at least we see in Joseph, like particularly in, you know, when Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and and he says that it would, where's that verse where he says it would be an offense to God? You know, that he has a heart for God. And it seems like, you know, when we read about these characters, God knows the hearts of people. Mm-hmm. And he try he chooses people who have a heart for, for him, you know, who want to know him, who have a desire to know him. So maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a different gradation of that that people are born with or that they are that the holy spirit blesses them with or something you know i don't know well this starts to get into uh the sovereignty of god and how he chooses and all of that you know does he choose people because he sees a heart for god or does he choose people and gives them a heart for god good point i tend to think the second personally um because all of us are separated from God in Adam. Uh, we're all uh, born in sin. We all have the same sin nature coming out fr- from the womb. And unless God intervenes, we're going to die that way. Right? I think that that's... At any rate, God has already set his sights on Joseph. How that came about, we might not always agree, but the fact is, Joseph is his man. Uh, and we can tell that as, as the story unfolds. So, <clears throat> uh, one son does try and intervene. Uh, Reuben, he says, no, let's, we, we, we can't kill him. He says uh, in, in chapter 37, uh, verse 21, Reuben heard about it. He rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Let's uh, shed no blood, throw him in the pit over here, but don't lay a hand on him. And the reason he did this was that he might be able to rescue Joseph from his brothers later on. So there was a sense of decency about Reuben that was not apparent in his brothers. Uh, that's, that's, that's for sure. Um, and they threw him in the pit when he came along. Uh, but before Reuben had a chance to rescue him, uh, they saw a caravan. They said, hey, Let's, let's, instead of killing him, let's just sell him and get rid of him that way. Sell him off as a slave. And so that's what happened. Uh, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, it says in verse 27. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. So there's, you know, a, a shred of human decency that, that, that pops out here. Uh, the brothers listened to him. Uh, then the Midianite traders passed by. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Uh, they took Joseph to Egypt. So uh, 20 shekels of silver comes, uh, comes to about 8 ounces. Uh, in our discussion, we, we compared uh, Yeshua when he was um, betrayed. Uh, it was for 30 pieces of silver. 
So not a very high value in either case, right? Right. So uh, the story goes on that Reuben came back and he saw, he saw what happened uh, and he tore his clothes, but he joined in with the uh, lie when he got home. So uh, they kept Jacob in the dark uh, for a very, very long time. Uh, we then have chapter 38, which is the story of Judah and Tamar. Uh, Lee, I'm going to ask you, do you want to jump into this one or continue with uh, Joseph? Because I think uh, let's continue with Joseph because that's a sidetrack. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, one of the things I think is taking place throughout this section of the scripture, though, is to draw the contrast between godly Joseph and the ungodly brothers. And for those of you who want to go back and, and uh, look at chapter 38 in a little bit more detail, let me just throw that idea out there for you that Judah, who you may recall is, going, is destined to be blessed with the kingship of Israel, that here is a story of his utter moral failure. And the Bible is very truthful that way. Uh, it presents human beings uh, in all their glory in the image of God and their godliness as God works in them, but also all of their vanity and pride and ugliness when it's appropriate to bring those to light as well. So I think that's a, a, one of the reasons this story appears here. Uh, we've met Joseph. Uh, he was this one who uh, received dreams from God. Now we meet Judah, an older brother, uh, part of the group that sold him into slavery, and now uh, even more debauched, in a sense, right? Because he's going to go and avail himself of uh, a local shrine prostitute. And that's as much as we'll say there. Uh, but the story of Joseph then continues after he winds up in Egypt. He is sold, it says, uh, for, well, first of all, let's understand, verse 30, chapter 39 o opens this way. Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the garden, Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down from there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. So, so here's, here's the thing. When it looks like Joseph has no control over his own life, he's being handled and transferred by his brothers to the Ishmaelites, to the Egyptians, to Potiphar in particular. What does it say about him, though? The Lord was with him. That even through all of this abandonment that he had every right to feel, right, Adonai, Hashem, the Lord, was with him and made him a successful man in Potiphar's house. So whatever is going on, this favor is, is, is overflowing in such a way. Verse 3, his master saw that Hashem, the Lord, was with him and that Hashem, the Lord, caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight. So the favor of Hashem now results in the favor of Potiphar. And Joseph is now put over all of Potiphar's affairs, uh, except uh, Potiphar's wife, which is where the temptation comes. Joseph was a young, strong man. Text implies that he's good-looking and attractive. And Potiphar's wife had her eye on Joseph, it says in 39.7. After time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. He refused and said to his master's wife. And so here's where the godliness comes in. Here's where, where the, the, the strength to uh, resist temptation. Here's what living in the fear of God brings about, right? Because he knows, hey, there's going to be a time and a place where we can get together and nobody will see us except God, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that, that's, that's got to be his framework. As he says this, he says, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, 
nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against, not Potiphar, sin against God? Joseph understands the underlying reality of all of life is God is there, God is present, God sees, God hears, God knows. And Joseph lives his life out in that reality, not the everyday reality that some people would say, hey, let's sneak out back, nobody will see us. Let's go over here, let's get in the back of the car, nobody will see us. Joseph says, how could I do this thing and sin against God? Right? Just so, so powerful. But she won't let up and she keeps chasing after him and she finally gets him in a compromising situation where he has to run out of the room and she grabs his, his cloak, it says, and uh, he has to strip that off and, and, and escape from her. And she uses that as a part of her lie then to slander him, to concoct a story, to put him in a bad light. She says, uh, look, uh, he, he, wanted, he wanted to uh, force me to have sex with him. Uh, he left his cloak here when I started screaming. Right? And so Potiphar, you know, sometimes I scratch my head about Potiphar, and I'm not sure at this moment why he believed his wife more than this man that he had trusted with so much. I don't have a good answer for that. You got any thoughts? Well, I think Potiphar could have put him to death for supporting an offense like this, mm-hmm. and he didn't do it. So I think he, out of, out of um, you know, keeping peace in the family and, 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 and not wanting to think that his wife would ever do something like that, he, I think he sent uh, Joseph to jail just to get him out of the house. But, but there had to been some sort of a... Uh, a liking to Joseph to do to give to Joseph to choose life in. instead of having him put to death. Yes, well, the, but but I think he mm-hmm. had, I think Potiphar had favor on not just God had favor on Joseph, but Potiphar had favor on jo- Joseph. Mm-hmm. And the, in the rabbi's commentary here on uh, chapter twenty, the prison says the Hebrew word occurs only here and seems to be Egyptian. The midrash explains that Potiphar had some doubt as to the truth of the accusation against Joseph. Otherwise, he would have put him to death instead of putting him in prison. To this episode in Joseph's life, there's an interesting parallel in the Egyptian tale of the two brothers. In the tale, the wicked wife is slain by her husband. Mm. So it was almost like, ooh, if I believe the wife i can put joseph in prison and you know hedge my bet but if i believe joseph i might have to i don't know slay your wife i don't know if that was a capital (laughs) offense or what you know adultery in egypt or i don't know well but it wouldn't have been adultery it would have been slander and oh slander right right. that's what that's what she that's 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 her crime right slander yeah potiphar's a politician so we got to think of he's going he's going to go down the road and stir up at least resistance uh, uh-huh, outs, outside uh-huh. of that as he can. So. And he yeah. probably went to the head of the prison and said, hey, this guy's a good guy. Make him head of your prison. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course, Joseph goes into prison. He becomes like the chief prison warden type yeah. guy. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the text tells us when he heard this story from his wife, his anger was kindled and he took Joseph and put him in prison uh, where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in prison. So I think when it says the king's prisoners, that's a special class of people, right? I guess. Uh, high treason, and then, maybe. And, and then it says... Go ahead, because that's where I wanted to get to. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed kindness unto him and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed Joseph's hand, all the prisoners that were in the prison... And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The and keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the thing about Joseph that now fits this other motif that we saw earlier. Here's Joseph, and, and things are happening that are completely out of his control, right? Right. And yet, somebody is in control. And it's not the people that the, we, we might 
be tempted to think it's not Potiphar and the prisoners, uh, the, 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 the prison keeper. Uh, it's, none of those people are the ones who are in control. They are doing their business as they see fit, but God is over it and God is in control. And so he winds up in this new place of, of uh, can't think of the word that I want to I want to say I'm stuck here but he winds up in this new place where again it seems that he's a victim he's he has no control over his fate uh, but he gets favor poured out on him from God and and what it says to us I think fairly is God has Joseph right where he wants him is that is that fair mm-hmm. and so that should speak to us too in our trials and in, in what might feel like prison to us. Yeah. If, if, if we are loved by God, if we're the children of God, then God has us right where he wants us. Amen. And you know, and you know, when we look at, you know, when we play it forward to the next chapters and look at Joseph's life and where he <laughs> ends up and what he does in, in the, in the history of, you know, the patriarchs, right, you know, of, of the nation of Israel. And you then look backwards, you can see how God was providing, right? He saw ahead what he needed, and he provided for him God, the provider, Adonoyedra went, right? Mm-hmm. That was what Abraham right. said, you know, and... And, and it's a similar in our lives, you know, when we go through these trials and sufferings and, you know, we get on the other side of it six, seven years down the road and you look back and you go, oh, that's what God was doing there in my life, you know. As I said, trials lead to perseverance. Perseverance leads to the ultimate, to, well, increased faith. You would know that, Jerry. Uh, patience. Patience. Leads to uh, perseverance, perseverance to character, and character to hope, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans chapter five. I believe that's what it's about. Amen. Hope and the glory of God. Yeah. So the last chapter then is uh, Joseph in prison, uh, and he he meets those two uh, servants of Pharaoh, the the cupbearer and the baker. And he interprets their dreams for them. And I don't want to go into the details of the dreams because we're running out of time. But the upshot of that interchange is he says, one of you is going to be restored to your position, the cupbearer, as it turns out. The other one of you is going to be executed. And it worked out just that way. And Joseph says to the cupbearer, he says, please remember me to the king when you get released. That's the end of the chapter. So let's read that. Uh, It says that Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Verse 23. And this one, it just makes you go like a punch in the gut almost. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's the world. And you say, oh man, he was so close. I'll tell you somebody who didn't forget Joseph. God himself, huh? God himself. And for whatever reasons God had, there were two more years of prison that God intended for Joseph. And he's going to rescue him, and he's going to send a, 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 a dream to Pharaoh that's going to need some interpretation, and the cupbearer's memory is going to get jagged. But this part of the story ends as a cliffhanger. Joseph is still in prison forgotten by all the people that he thought were going to help him out but not forgotten by god but just think of those years from 17 to about 30 32 whatever that year is he was either a servant or a prisoner his whole the whole time Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah so we are bumping up against our hour already time has flown by today But we want to use the story of Joseph as an encouragement to all of you who feel like you're in prison in some way, to all of you who feel like uh, something's happened and and you're not in control. And we want to assure you that God is in control, just as he was in Joseph's life, directing events and people and circumstances. God had his eye on Joseph the whole time to refine him, to train him, to discipline him him to prepare him 
for what the future yet held for him. So we want to encourage you in the same way. If you're discouraged, we want you to know that God has his eye on you. Let's pray this prayer together. Father, we thank you that you are the seeing God, the God who sees, and that you are the loving God. It says that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die in our place. So if you don't know the son yet, if you've never put your faith in Yeshua, tell the Father, please save me through faith in Yeshua. Give me the hope that you have promised in him and the knowledge in the Holy Spirit that you have a place for me and you see me and you have your hand on my life. I submit myself to you. I ask you to come into my life and change me for your glory's sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. God be with you.